You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Excited to be here with you. As he mentioned, uh, I am the production director here. And since I'm on stage and I just love doing this, can we give my team, the production team, just a big round of applause? Yeah. Uh, I'm just super thankful for everybody who serves and gives of their time week in and week out to do that. And I know so many of you serve in so many different ways, um, whether it's kids ministry, greeting, there's so many opportunities. And if you are looking at it for an opportunity to serve, the production team is looking for a couple of slots to fill. Um, we would love to have you fill that out on the Connect card. If you are like, yeah, I'm a behind the scenes type of person, we'll train you up, we'll get you ready to go. Uh, but this morning, we get to continue in our series, Sermon on the Mount. And if you're at all like me, this series has been amazing. I've been super challenged. I mean, Jesus has a way of doing that, right? He cuts right to the heart. And uh, he, he encourages us to go to the next level. And as we think about this idea of being a city set apart on a hill, we know that what the command is. And Jesus shows us the way to follow him in that. And as somebody who looks and thinks about what Christ has done for me, and I'm like, yes, Lord, I'll go, I'll do anything. And then I start hearing the things he's calling me to do, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is challenging. Um, but Josh and Jake have done an amazing job of helping us see what it is that God is calling our church to do so that we might be a movement in this city of disciples being made, that we might be a light set on a hill. All these things that Christ has given us to do, we're like, yes, we want more. Yes, and amen, right, church? And in chapter 6 now, Jesus is going to say, now hold up, before you go and charge hell with a squirt gun, you need to beware of some things. Okay, so although he's just been teaching us throughout this last chapter of how to let our yeses be yes and, and how to uh, fixate our heart on him and, and have no other treasure beside him and, and to love our enemies and, and to keep our minds and hearts pure, Jesus says, if you're going to do that, you have to do it in the right way. And I'm going to issue you a warning, a beware, a careful, there's danger here. And that's what we get to in chapter six. But before we go there, I was thinking on this, and it reminded me of a time in my life when I was in high school, and I met a girl. And uh, this girl, I thought, was just like everything. I loved her to death, and I was like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. And Lord, let it be so. And I, I loved the Lord. He was in charge of my life. And so I'm like, I want to submit this to him, and I want to do the right thing. But I, I'm smitten. I, I'm all in. I'm in high school, right? <laughs> and uh, we've, many of us have maybe been there. Um, for, for me, I was like, tell my parents. And they're like, yeah, you might want to you know, go talk to the pastor about that. So they, they passed the baton. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, OK, I'll go talk to the pastor about this. And so me and my girlfriend at the time go and talk to the pastor. And he's like, well, you've got some great things going for you. You're in love with the Lord, first and foremost. You've been a part of our church community. You serve in our church. I know you personally, and, and you've got a lot of things, but you've also got a lot of ways in which you're a little naive. I remember telling him, well, we're just ready to get married because, you know, we've never had a fight. <laughs> Maybe not uh, the best reason to get married, but, um, or to think that you're ready. Um, but we were just sure that we were ready. And he's like, I, 
there's a few things I, I can't just give you the green light on this because you're really young. There's going to be a lot of challenges ahead, a lot of dangers and if you're going to pursue this route. And, uh, and, and yet, I'm not going to give you a red light either because you love the Lord, you're trying to seek him out, and the Lord can do miraculous things. So I'm going to give you yellow flashing lights. Now, if you're like me and you see yellow flashing lights, you speed up, right? And <laughs> But it's, it, the intent of it is what? Proceed with caution. caution. Take caution. Beware. And that's what Jesus wants us to see as we go and do our deeds of righteousness in the world. He says, beware. There is going to be a temptation there, a, a tendency to fall in the wrong side of the path and to go astray from what my will is for you, even when you're doing those good things for my name's sake. So you got to watch out. Be careful. Um, we're going to open up to Matthew chapter, chapter 6 if you want to go there. Now, as you do turn there in your Bibles, I'm just going to finish the story for you by putting a picture up. Uh, I married the girl. <laughs> so um, we've been married for almost 16 years, and I just want to introduce uh, my family to you. This is my son, Caden, in the middle, and my daughters, Avery and Leah. And so if you see them running around here, those are my kids. Um, Sometimes I want to claim them. Sometimes I don't, but that's okay. Um, so, yeah, as we turn into Matthew chapter 6 today, we see this message right away. Jesus says, beware. And if Jesus is the one telling us to beware, the Son of God come to earth to communicate to his people the will of God and the way of God, we ought to lean in and listen to his words of wisdom. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I could think of no better way to say it than the way Jesus said it. So our first main point for today is beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, the next 17 verses, Jesus unpacks this. Okay, So the next 17 verses, Jesus is saying this is an important point. And so much so, I'm going to give you three different examples of how not to practice your righteousness. And the first one that we're going to get into today is in the area of our giving. When Josh asked me to talk on giving, I was like, what? That's not what I wanted to talk on my first time at Hill City Church. But this is the main point. And, and Josh was like, no, no, no. It's secret giving. Because today's message is about not practicing our giving or our righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to look at other examples. That's how important it is that we don't do our righteous deeds in the wrong way. So let's go ahead and get into the rest of the scriptures, and then we'll unpack it one verse at a time. Chapter 6, verses 2 says, Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first question for the day is, does Jesus here in this passage, in this warning passage, tell us, don't give? No, he doesn't say, do not give. What does he say in verse two? He says, thus, when you give, not thus, if you give. 
No, he just outright assumes that as the people of God, as followers of Jesus, we are a generous people who are marked by giving. God expects that of us. Jesus expects that of you and I, that what we have received from God, we will turn into a blessing for others. Giving is not an option as a Christian. It's a mandate. And Jesus doesn't even spend time breaking that down. He's just going to go into the assumption that you're doing it and how to do it the right way. Now, there's a really interesting word picture we get here. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do. Now, hypocrites there literally means an actor on a stage. That's like the actual meaning of the Greek word. It's an actor on a stage who apparently is going up to the offering plate and you know, pulls out his trumpet and goes, boop, boop, Here's my $100. Thank you, sir. Everybody see? Everybody see? Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a temptation for me. (laughs) I'm not tempted to sound a trumpet before I give to the offering. Um, But I was reading this in my Bible, in my study Bible, and I looked down at the bottom, and there was a really interesting note that I thought was illuminating. So I want to read that to you now. The CSB Study Bible says, the prohibition, don't sound a trumpet, stems from the fact that the offering chests in the temple, shofar chests or trumpet chests, were trumpet-shaped with a wide opening where coins were deposited and a winding, ever-narrower funnel that, at its narrowest point, exits into the chest. This arrangement prevented thieves from sticking their hands into the chest. Thus, Sounding the trumpet is like a reference to tossing coins noisily into this trumpet-shaped coffer and thereby calling attention to one's generosity. As I was thinking about that picture, I thought of the zoo. And if you go to the zoo, you get one of those little coins, right? And you get to put it into one of the, the little funnels and watch it go down in support of the animal that you, know, you want to support. And they usually have a couple different ones. And I just pictured this idea of, all right, kids, you know, put your coins in the funnel. Here we go, going around, going around. And up walks some stranger with a bucket full of coins and just dumps them into the funnel next to you. And you're like, I guess that guy really loves Bengal tigers. (laughs) That's the idea here, is that there is a way to give in which is calling attention to the gift or the giver rather than to God. And this is the type of giving we are to stay away from. Now, there's three different examples I think we can relate to a little bit more so in our day and age. For a few years, I was a social media manager for the Boise Rescue Mission. Now, at the Rescue Mission and pretty much any organization that you are at that is, relies heavily on fundraising, what happens when somebody writes a big check? Yeah, you announce it, you make a big check, you take a photo of it, you share it on your social media, you make it a big old to-do about it because you want them to keep on giving. And then what does the giver do? They reshare it on their account, right? Now, that's true for organizations, but it can also be true for you and me as individuals. We might be tempted to do our deeds of righteousness and take a selfie and post it to my social feed so my friends can see. Or maybe just I'll bring it up in conversation later and say, hey, did you see that picture on my feed? You know, oh, here's what actually happened. It was really cool. And it can be done with a heart of bringing attention to ourselves. Okay, that's one way. Maybe a little bit more real than sounding a trumpet. Um, 
Which again, I mean, maybe that was the case. I mean, part of me wants to think that Jesus was just using an extreme example to make a point because he does do that over and over again. But another way that we could do it is by making our name great when we give by expecting or being given a big old plaque that we put on our office wall or uh, something else that maybe brings it a little closer to home. You walk around here and you look at some of our stained glass and you may or may not see some names written on those stained glass windows and uh, maybe not what Jesus was talking about. Ooh, ouch, that hurts. Not to like, you know, rain on anybody's parade, but Jesus here is giving us an important warning and saying that when you give in order to get something in return, you're giving in the wrong way. And I want to listen to that. I want to hear what he has to say. If we bring it even closer to home, maybe you're not tempted to expect a, you know, a, you're a large giver that's going to expect, you know, something um, put up in your name at the church. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're very conscious of the fact that when you give, you know you're going to eventually, at the end of the year, get that tax statement, right? Because somebody sees, somebody knows what those numbers are. And if we're honest and we give more, we might think, I want them to attach my name to that number. And that's a temptation that Jesus wants to call out and say, danger, watch out, be careful, because there's three ways you are not to give. This is not a sermon about not giving, except if you do it in these ways. Three reasons not to give. One is in order to gain authority. I was a worship pastor at a church down in Texas for a few years, and uh, we had a big giver. And uh, when I first met the guy, you know, I, I you know, had a good relationship with him. Church had, he was, he was supportive of the church and everything. And then he made this really large gift and he donated an entire youth building. He had it constructed for us and everything. We needed a youth space. He made it happen. What unfortunately happened after that was that the, the complaints started coming in. The expectations of authority started coming in. You would go to a business meeting, and now all of a sudden, it was, what was this person's agenda, not what was God's agenda? So let me just be very clear. We don't give in the church to get authority for you or for me. It's not what we give for. It's God's money. We're giving it back to him freely, without expectation. Without expectation to gain prestige. Another reason not to give. I don't give in order to gain other people's approval or praise. And that is made explicit in this passage. Thirdly, I don't give in order to gain God's approval. We can be tempted to think that when we know we're in sin, we know we're not right with God, the thing to do is to show up at church, give, do like our mom told us, and you know, save some of our pennies and throw them in the bucket, and, and maybe God will smile on us that week. But we don't give in order to gain God's approval. And we'll see more on that later. If this is you, Jesus says yellow flashing lights. Beware, for you will receive your reward from man. See, crooked generosity gains us a temporary re reward from man. Giving in the wrong way results only in temporary rewards, and it's from no one but the person who sees us. 
on social media, the person who sees what we dropped in the bucket. And guess what? They're there one day, and they're gone the next. Is that what we want to live for as the people of God? Jesus says, beware. And yet, he wants us to give. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, when you give, not if. Let's read verses three and four. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Once again, Jesus is so extreme. He just paints these pictures that you're just like, well, I mean, that's impossible, right? And yet Jesus says it. And it's like, okay, I guess you're just trying to bang me on the head with a stick and get this into my brain. Okay, the idea is I shouldn't even know or think about what I'm doing, right? That's what we see here. The idea is the right hand is often the dominant hand, the one that we give with. The left hand, we're supposed to just not even think twice about it. It should be as if it's a, an abundant sacrifice to the Lord that we know is gone for a moment only. See, when we trust that God is a good giver and he's got us and he's our dad, we don't have to think twice when we give. It may feel like a big sacrifice to us, but it's not a huge sacrifice to God. He knows what we need. He sees us. And we can give without worry, right? Because a lot of times, maybe what we give is, is maybe it's we, we, think, we double think it. We, we think over it again because uh, I'm like, is, is it really okay for me to give this amount you know, this week? Or, or maybe it's the other side of things where we're like, yeah, I'm giving so much and I, I want everybody to know about it and be praised about it. And, and yet Jesus says, no, other people know about it. You should barely even know or think about it yourself. He goes on, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So giving is hard. Talking about giving is hard. Jesus knows giving is hard. Jesus knows that what he's asking is for you to make sacrifices in your life, but he wants you to know it's not for no reason at all. It's not just for nothing. No, he doesn't want you to think, man will see me do this. But he does want you to think, God will see me do this. Even what's done in secret, God knows about, and he will reward me. See, we talked about crooked generosity, but righteous generosity equals an eternal reward from God. Not a temporary reward, but an eternal one. Because God never changes. God's not here and then gone the next day. God's riches are forever, and he wants to rain them down on us. See, Bible commentator and pastor Douglas Sean O'Donnell said this. Josh gave me this resource, and I thought this insight was really um, was great and, and challenging to some of my thinking. It says this, nowhere does Jesus teach that we must be good for the sake of being good. I'm going to say that again. Nowhere does the Bible say that we must be good for the sake of being good. That sounds noble, but it's not biblical thinking. Throughout Matthew, think the end of each beatitude or the parables on the last judgment, Jesus persistently uses the motive of God-given rewards to help believers live for God. See, the teaching in the New Testament over and over again is that there will actually be tangible, measurable rewards for you and I on the other side of eternity. That's incredible. And my mind goes to, you know, 
a lot of things. The question is, am I right in my thinking here? You know, is, 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 is it what I'm thinking it should be or is it what God wants, right? Sometimes we have these hard questions. Well, tangible rewards, what does that look like? And, and is it really, you know, this versus that? You know, am, am, am I gonna receive something but Steve over there is gonna receive something different than me? Um, and, and if so, I have my picture of I'm gonna have a yacht and he's gonna have a canoe, right? <laughs> um, we can have these earthly ideas of what a reward is that perhaps are not what God would define rewards as. But nevertheless, we see this idea that there are tangible, measurable rewards that will be given to each of us based upon our giving, based upon our sacrifice, based upon our righteous deeds, based upon uh, our works done according to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 8, Paul makes this clear. He says, now he who plants and he who waters are one. He's talking about different people doing different things in the church. There are many different roles that we fill in the church, and, uh, and yet all the effort is one effort. It's one effort in God's mind and eye to further the kingdom of God. But then he writes this, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So it's clear that the Bible actually does teach that you might get something different than I get in heaven. And now this is, you know, it can tend to draw out temptation towards our carnal flesh to think about, well, I want that yacht, you know, and, and uh, so I'm going to do these things for that. Uh, but it's important to remember that we must not confuse rewards as we define them now with what will be revealed to us in heaven. And it's also important that we balance it with what New Testament professor Brian Vickers states when he states this, we must all take care that we don't get the impression that heaven in the presence of Christ is glorious, but rewards will make it even better. Christ, through whom we have forgiveness and eternal life, is all the reward we need. So there's a balance, there's a tension here. It's a both and type of thing. We will receive Christ and it will be the greatest, most glorious thing our hearts could ever imagine. So much so that those things that we receive as rewards for our hard work and labor done for the Lord here on heaven or in earth will, will go by the wayside. They won't be big in our mind. They won't be the thing that draws our attention. The thing that draws our attention will always and forever be Christ. Psalm 37, 4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you those desires in your heart. When you delight in him, and trust that he is all you need. When we see God as the ultimate provider, as when we see God as the ultimate giver, who is my father and gives good gifts to his children, then I recognize that all I need is him. Those things, they might be nice, but they're not gonna make the difference for me. So I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, those VIP cruise type of things that you can go on, like a, a musician uh, will have like a concert, right? And, uh, and you know, they'll invite like, you know, several hundred people to come hang out on this cruise ship with them. And, uh, and I was thinking like, okay, what, what would be the coolest thing for me? Um, I'm a guitar player, and so I'm like, what if Jimi Hendrix had a cruise that he invited a whole bunch of people to? Now, he's dead, so I mean, obviously he can't quite do that, but I mean, even more so then, what if Jimi Hendrix came back down from the clouds for one last guitar solo? I'm just like, I want to be there, you know? But then I find out the ticket price is $30,000. I'm like, no, I can't be there. And 
dang it, you know, I want to be there, but I can't. And then I get the personal invite. Jimi Hendrix says, no, I want you to be there so bad. I'll pay your way for you, Garrett. You can come and be with me on the cruise, and uh, you can be there for that solo, and you can be there with me at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Now, am I going to complain if that breakfast, lunch, and dinner is Taco Bell, Taco Bell, Taco Bell? (laughs) Or if it's, name me a good restaurant here in Boise. Somebody. Wilder? Did I hear Wilder? That's exactly what the people in first service said was Wilder. (laughs) So... If you haven't not yet been to Wilder, apparently it's really good. But I'm not going to care if it's Domino's pizza or if it's Wilder pizza in heaven. Now, it is a real thing. It's a tangible difference. And I'm betting when we sit down at the table with Jesus, it's not going to be bland steak. It's going to be the best dang steak I've ever had. But I'm not going to lose you know, everything in my mind like, like over that. I'm going to be like, I'm here with the risen Christ, my Savior, my God, sitting at the same table As that guy, I shouldn't even be here. That's what I'll be losing my mind over and just thinking, this is is unreal. And that's what our giving is to be. It's to not be so that we're rewarded by earthly treasures or that man's approval, but that we see that in the end, we'll be with Jesus and we'll have everything we need And you and I will be on the receiving end of a lot. Does that motivate you to give to the Lord? There is nothing morally inferior about looking for reward for our behavior. This is a quote from John Piper. He says, there's nothing morally inferior about looking for reward for our behavior, provided that the reward is ultimately more of Christ as the supreme joy of our souls. And the reason that is not morally inferior is that Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Christ. See, it's about the glory of the Lord. It's about seeing that his glory is worthy of my giving. And so reason number two that we give, we give so that God will get the glory. See, the text makes explicitly clear that we want to be seen by others when we're giving in a wicked and crooked way. But that's subverting what you and I were most created to do, which is to give glory to God, not to ourselves. I want to read to you a passage in Ephesians. And uh, there's a lot that we could discuss here, but that we won't discuss. Um, We're just going to focus in on listening for that word grace, Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's when, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's what, that we should be holy, that we should obey Christ in all these commands, that we should follow the way of Christ, that we should be like Christ. That's the what. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. That's the how. You and I have become children through Jesus Christ. Why? According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And if grace is all about giving somebody something that they don't deserve, then why are we over here wanting to get praise for what I'm doing? Because that's absolutely subverting 
the entire reason why Jesus was sent for you and I. God has your best interest in heart when you surrender all the glory to him. See, it's not selfish when Christ calls us to glorify him because that's what our souls were created for. And Satan wants us to think that we're created for that praise ourselves. That we should long for people to look at us and to lift us up, and then maybe we'll feel a little bit better about ourselves. But Jesus says, no, it is him who we find our satisfaction in. And so when he is glorified most, we find ourselves in a place of being able to give freely because I don't need the glory for myself. I don't need that praise. I don't need that recognition. God, to God be the praise. And why? Why to God be the praise? Because of the rich things that he's done for us, right? Reason number three, and we say this every single week when we come together as a church, we give because God gave. That's what his grace is. That's why we glorify him. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paints us an amazing picture of what kingdom living looks like in the Sermon on the Mount. But you and I fall short. We can't do it on our own. You are not enough without Christ. You need a savior. Because although Jesus wants you to follow him, he says, beware, lest you do it in a way that brings attention and glory to yourself because then you'll receive no reward. Now, that's something I want to listen to and go, OK, this is a big deal to Jesus. My righteousness is not to bring glory to myself, period. My righteousness is to bring glory to God. And why? Because he gave so much to me. If you're in here today and you struggle with the point of wanting to earn God's approval through giving, let me just tell you now. That's not how he has designed for you to be with him forever in heaven. He has designed for you to be in relationship with him forever, not through the good works that we do, but through the gift of salvation that God has given us. Ephesians 2, 8 says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Jesus lived that perfect life that you and I can't live. He did it. He obeyed every command of scripture to the nth degree. He fulfilled the law. So that should end all striving on our behalf. Because when he died, it says that God punished him for our sins so that we might, who knew no sin, become his righteousness. Or, excuse me, we who knew no righteousness might become his righteousness that in Christ, we have received this amazing gift of God's righteousness. And that's what I want the world to see. Not that I am the answer, not that I'm the way, not that I'm the truth, but that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. Now, giving, again, is one way in which we give, or one way in which we obey this principle that Jesus gives us. 
But let's return to point number one, right back where we started. Be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Let's be a church that goes out into the world, prepared to do good works. Let's be a church that follows every command of Christ. Let's be a church that models the way in the world and multiplies disciples. Let's make sure that God is the one who gets the glory for what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father God, in your infinite wisdom, you made a way that we might be right with you. And through that gift of salvation, Lord, you call us, you call us to be a church who is a light in the world. But God, when we be on fire, will we be inflamed with your glory and your word upon our lives to empower us to do things that we can't do on our own. And when people see it, would they not see us, God, but would they see you? Would they see we have a good giver who is our God in this place? We love you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.